0: First Peter chapter 5 uh, really enjoyed going through this passage uh, but it's one of those passages for me that throughout the day just the the nervous of preaching this passage for me uh, it's it's one that as we think about it and as we reflect on it it's I think it's vitally important to our church and churches around America today to uh, to understand what Peter's driving at in this passage and the importance of some of the dynamics he's going to bring out and how the church functions and works together. And so uh, before we even just dive in, I just, you know, I just really just want to ask the Lord for, for wisdom and just to be able to, to humbly present this, uh, the truth of God's Word here, and hopefully that we understand that and are able to, to put that into practice in our lives. So Father, I pray now that as we study your Word and as we seek to understand what you would have us to know from this passage, God, I pray that you would help us as a church to humbly submit to your ways, to your direction, to your path. Lord, we thank you for the way that you work in the Word of God, that it is not of um, an accident that this is the passage we're in, and it's not an accident that Peter wrote this so many years ago, Lord, and understanding that we as a, a body need to hear about the importance of our church and how our church is to, to have a attitude of humility, Lord, and God, I pray that as we look through this, Lord, help me to humbly present your truths and help them to be received and help me to live them out day by day in my life as well. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word, and I pray that you would use it to strengthen and to sharpen and to edify us, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. There's a TV show that I I really like. Uh, It's on, I think, Netflix or something like that. It's called The Repair Shop, and I've mentioned this before in another series. And I, I, I like that they, people will bring this group of people, the, they're craftsmen, they're artisans, they're uh, specialized in their field. And they will bring them antiques, they will bring them family heirlooms, maybe a vase that is cracked or a, uh, uh, and a piece of artwork that needs to be restored or furniture that has been passed down from generation to generation. And you know, the grandkid jumped on it and put a hole through the upholstery and now they're trying to fix it. And they're, they're amazing with what they can do in their, in their field. And one of the individuals, his name is Steve Fletcher. He's an expert clockmaker. And his ability to work with all the little mechanisms, whether it's in clocks or whether it's in uh, little toys, he's, he's just amazing to watch. And he'll wear like two and three pairs of glasses as he's working on these smallest, smallest pieces of the clocks. And one of the clocks he was making one time was this, this clock here. And it was, it was multiple generations passed down. It was early, early, early clock. And he was working on it, took it all apart, cleaned it up, restored it. And it was working when they brought it in. They just wanted a full restoration and make sure that everything was good. So he put it back together. And when he went to turn it on and to make it go, it, it wasn't working. And he's like, he said he has this sinking feeling that something that came in working is now broken. And I'm the one who's supposed to be able to, to work this through. And so he had to take the entire clock apart again, look, and he noticed that the first two gears that he had put in, he put them in upside down. And so he had to to redo everything. And once those gears were were put in sync, once they are all matched up, everything worked fine. And when we look at at our church, when we look at the passage here in 1 Peter, he's going to talk about some gears in our body that need to line up. Gears that when we make sure they are working correctly, it strengthens our body. It helps our church body to grow, to function, and to work in such a way that, that it uh, is healthy. And so Peter takes the time here to address in this passage both the leadership and what we'll call the followership of the church. He's going to talk to two different dynamics in these five verses. He's going to talk to the elders, to the pastors, and he's also going to talk to the congregation. And he's going to say, here's here's where we're at. Here's what needs to happen. And so he starts off in verse number one. He says, to the elders, which are among you. So Peter is going to, which are among you, I'm going to exhort. I'm going to to share with you. So Peter now comes to this passage. And after talking about suffering, and after, after talking about the difficulties that happen in life to the body, he's now going to take some time and say directly to, the elders, to the pastors here. He's going he's gonna to address them first. Now, why does, why does he address the elders first? Some, some different ideas come out. Maybe it's because in the, the scope of persecution, they were the ones who were bearing the brunt of the persecution. Like we, we recently heard about a week ago of, of some of our uh, fellow Christians in, the, in the, the stand countries who they were raided, and the, the whole church was allowed to go, but the pastor w- was taken away to prison. And so he bared, he bared the brunt of being a Christian for the sake of his body. that could be the part, or could it be simply that they are the leaders in the church, and so he wants to address the leadership of the church even before he addresses the church, which seems to seems to play into making sense, although both both could have some some sway in the understanding of the passage. but he addresses the leaders first and he 's going to talk to to us as pastors he 's going to say to the to the elders to the the leadership here now it's not simply something where where you all can check out because whether you're here you ought to you ought to know what we're supposed to be doing you ought to know what our motivations ought to be as pastors and if the lord ever leads you out of this area you need to to know and be able to see what is it about these men that i'm supposed to be following what what should their heartbeat be what should they what should they be like so the term elder here refers to the one who has like the oversight or leadership. Now it's not, there's another word that's going to come up that's specifically the overseer, but he's the one who's in the leadership, the management position, the, the one who's overseeing and taking the, the, the direction, the vision of, of the church. And Peter is going to appeal to many elders. He says to the elders, plural, why is that? Remember, back in chapter 1, he's writing to the many, the many believers who have been scattered around. So he's not just talking to one specific church and one specific pastor. He's talking to the many pastors in Asia Minor who have been going through the persecution, going through the struggles, who have been scattered around. Though the Bible does, when it uses that term elder, it does often use it in the plural. These, these elders that he's speaking to are coming from local churches. He's going to talk to the many elders, but he's going to say, the elder in your church, in your local church. This is who they're to be. This is what they are to be. I've recently been introduced to, uh, this week, uh, this, poem, or, uh, this speech by Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's called The Man in the Arena. It's considered one of, one of his greatest speeches ever. And there's, there's a portion of it. And I just wanted to read it for a second and, and let, you, let you just mull that over for a second. It says, it's not the critic who counts who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And I read that, and I was like, wow, what, what an amazing thought. But also, when I started thinking about Peter, and in relationship to Peter, a spiritual leader who sinned, repented, was restored. A man who stands forgiven. A man who stood at the Mount of Transfiguration and then chops off the ear of a soldier and then denies Christ that same night and yet then finds himself on the shore with Jesus Christ. And Christ looking at Peter and charging him and saying, go forward. And then this man stands up at Pentecost and he preaches and we've, we've all heard, many of us have heard pastor's message, you know, faithful believers can fall, fallen believers can be forgiven, forgiven believers can be fruitful. Did I get it right? Yes. Okay. Peter is, is this man who was in the arena and he fell and he failed. And yet he's now able to stand up and proclaim to these elders. He's now the one who I, I believe he's the perfect person to be able to look at these elders who are going through suffering these pastors who their congregations are facing a difficult time and he's going to look at them and say let me let me charge you let me exhort you let me appeal to you on what kind of man you need to be what you what you need to demonstrate in your life so look what he says he doesn't he he it's unique how he goes about this he says i exhort you who also am an elder and a witness of the sufferings, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He starts off with using this this other term here uh, for presbyteros, or the elder. He's going to, to use it. He's going to talk about one who is going to take some oversight. And what's interesting to me is that Peter does not appeal to his apostleship. He's going to identify in humility with these pastors. He's going to say, I am one of you. He doesn't go to his authority. He says, I am a fellow elder. He's expressing humility here. He's not coming from the top down. He's not going to set the example he could have. He could easily say, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, which the apostles have done, and they have the right to do that. He comes in and says, as a fellow elder, I want to express some humility. He's going to identify with the weight with the responsibility of ministry with these individuals. He's going to say, I get it. I know what you go through. I understand the, 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 the stresses and I understand the blessings. I've been there. I'm, I'm there. And then he says, I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings. He said, I've been there. I've actually saw. I can testify to. That's the word that he uses to be a, a testifier or a proclaimer. He says, I've seen Christ suffer. I watched him, maybe not at the foot of the cross, but he was there. He watched the sufferings, the turmoils of Christ in his ministry. And even though he failed, he stands forgiven and will share, he says, in the future glory, just like these other believers. Because he says, I am also a partaker in the revealed glory. The partaker is that word koinonia again. It comes up here, just like it did last week. He's like, I am going to share or partner with you, or be a companion. I'm going to be there in the future with you. And although Peter has seen the glory of God in the Mount of Transfiguration, he understands that in the future, I'm going to see something far greater. I'm going to be with Christ, be with God in heaven, and see the joy, see the glory of God. And so Peter identifies with these individuals. He understands their sufferings. He understands the difficulties. And he's going to charge them with a very important task. It's almost as if Peter takes a moment to walk back in his life to a moment when he was charged by Jesus Christ. Do you remember when Peter, after he denies, after Christ resurrects, John 21, he's on the beach and Jesus is there and Jesus looks at him and he says, do you love me more than these? And what was... Jesus' response to Peter. What is he, when Peter says, yes, I love you, and he goes through it, and he asks him three times, you remember, what does Jesus charge Peter to do? Feed my sheep. He says, I want you to feed my sheep. Now look at what Peter says here to these fellow elders. He's coming to them and he says, this is what you need to do. Feed the flock of God which is among you. He says, this is your priority. This is what you are to be about This is the responsibility and the weight that God has placed upon you in a good way. The calling that you have, elders, he says, you feed, shepherd the flock of God that is there. The word that he uses is another term. He uses multiple terms in this passage for the pastor. We are to to be managing. We are to be overseeing. We are to be poimaining. We are to be pasturing, to shepherd. We are to to do that. We have many responsibilities, but Peter says your responsibility, pastor, is to feed the flock of God. So just as shepherds watch over sheep, then I too, the pastors here at this church, we must be shepherding the flock that God has given to you. Did you catch that? Feed the flock of God, which is among you. Whose flock is it? It is God's flock. God has entrusted this flock to our pastor. That is His responsibility that is then shared with the assistant pastors that we are to feed the flock that God has given us care over. And these sheep have been entrusted to us. You have been, that is a, that is a wonderful and a joyful weight. It is not one that is crushing. It is one that is the, the shepherd loves his sheep. And the same thing is true and ought to be true for the pastor that we love our flock, that we have this dynamic where we understand we are to shepherd. It, I don't know about you. My, I was hoping my sister-in-law was here because I was going to give her a hard time. My sister-in-law is amazing with uh, dogs and dog sitting. She loves this. She is like, if you ever need a dog, dog sitter, call Ruth Ulrich, man. She will do a great job. She loves it me don 't ever call me and ask me to sit your dog i have a, I, I will put your dog on a leash outside i 'll pet it every once in a while and and put a little bowl that's i i'm, I'm not the i 'm not the animal guy and so if you had to go on vacation or you were going away and you had to choose who you 're going to leave your dog with, I would openly tell you don 't leave it with me leave it with her because that 's a passion that she has because she Loves dogs and loves the animals and loves taking care of them. Not me. But that is what God has done for our local church. God has looked to the pastors and said, I have taken people that are extremely precious to me, and I am entrusting them to you for spiritual guidance. For, to you for wisdom. Because you, we are the flock of God here. And so there is an entrusting dynamic. So, shepherding the flock of God is the pastor's primary role. that That is the number one. That is what we are called to do. To shepherd, Peter says, this is even in the hard times, pastors, shepherd the flock of God. Be faithful to those who have been entrusted to you. It reminds me of Psalm 23. And you think about Psalm 23, and we go there and talk about the shepherd. And you think about the shepherd leads, the shepherd cares, guides, feeds, comforts. The shepherd strengthens, the shepherd corrects when necessary. Those dynamics is what Peter is drawing out. That's what the the term poimain brings us back to, that we are to shepherd. So as pastor shepherds the flock, as we as pastors shepherd the flock that God has entrusted to them, we have to make sure that as we're doing those things, Peter says check your motivation. Pastor check art check why do you do this? Why are you why are you feeding the why are you feeding and how are you to feed the flock of God? And th- he's going to use these big picture words here. He's going to use another term called episkopos. He's going to say taking the oversight. Did you catch that there verse 2? Feed the flock of God which is among you taking the oversight thereof. The shepherd of the flock, the pastors are to have oversight Over the flock, that is a responsibility that God has entrusted to those who are in that position of leadership, to the elders. And again, this is this is that big picture term. It's Peter's going to give three negatives and follow them by three positives, and he's going to say it's it's not the idea of if you fail in one of these areas, pastor, you're you're done, you're disqualified, you're gone. No, Peter's saying this ought to be the tenor of the heart of the preacher. The pastor, the man that we follow, or that you follow, and it's it's weird. I have to keep saying we and you because it's like I'm in that position as a pastor here, but I'm also in that position as under the pastor. And so I'll I'll keep trying to do that here. But it's a big picture idea. So what is what does he say? The first one he gives. He says that we are to overtake oversight and feed the flock not by constraint or not out of compulsion, not out of obligation. It's not a duty. Now, there are times where It'll feel like a duty. There are times that you get handed a job and you're like, okay, I got to do it. But the general tenor of our lives, the reason that we want, the reason we feel called into ministry and into these positions is that we gladly want to serve the sheep, the flock, our congregation, you. That ought to be our heart's desire, our drive. We don't serve out of compulsion. We should not serve out of compulsion, but with a wholehearted desire It ought to be, and it is easy, when when you feel like it's just a, I have to do this. When it's just a must, it's easy to lose the joy. And so you can continually be praying for us as pastors to, to feel the joy and the love, to have that desire, to maintain that wholehearted desire to be serving. He's not saying here, Peter is not saying that there will not be times where the pastor faces sadness, faces depression, faces sorrow. I mean, you remember Elijah, right? Carmel, Mount Carmel does this great marvelous things, and then where does the prophet end up? Completely depressed, needing 40 days of rest and time away with God. So there are times in, our, in, in life where that will happen, but that ought not to be the general. So he's saying there could be times where we feel that way, but honestly, it ought to be our heart's desire, our heart's big picture idea in our life that we are enjoying, that ministry is a joy, that it is a blessing to be able to serve you. So you know, it, it, sometimes it may seem weird when pastor stands up here and says, you know, it really is a joy to serve you. And you're like, huh? it's because that, that's a heart. And we ought to be thankful for that because that's what Peter is telling us to gladly be serving as, as pastors. He goes on, he says, we don't do it for greedy gain, but with an eagerness to serve. He uses that phrase here that uh, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Our goal is not to get rich. We're not to take leader po- leadership positions out of greediness. We're not to deny, like if you, oh well, I'm not gonna, I am not going i will not do your funeral unless you pay me x number of dollars. Or you know, if you're you, sure you want, we we see this in in religion. Oh, you want more prayer? Well, you know this this prayer cloth will cost you twenty five dollars. Oh, you need this blessing here? Well, why don't you pay me a little bit and I'll. That's, that's not the, the desire, nor the drive, nor should it be the drive of the pastor to just be getting getting the money in order to dole out spiritual ministry. Peter's saying that's not the heartbeat. Our eagerness, he talks about in Titus, Paul talks about He says, our eagerness to uh, to minister and serve others should be the driving factor, not what am I, am I going to get out of this. Titus talks about, he talks to Titus, he says, leaders who desire dishonest gain. That ought not to be what is driving your pastors. Any pastor. That's not where we're at. Now, I am going to make the caveat because I, I want to make sure I get a check this week. Now, um, Peter's not suggesting that you not pay us, okay? Tim, Paul makes it clear in First Timothy that we are to be paying our pastor. We are to do that. That's our responsibility. That's what we accept when we come into membership. We, we get that. But it's still not to be the driving factor. It's not to be the motivation to go into ministry, if you have a teen or you have someone in your one of the, you know one of the youth that you have a an opportunity to interact with, and you're like, well, yeah, I want to I want to go into ministry because I know I can make really good money. This is the passage you go to, and you say, wait, no, that's that's not a reason you do this. It's not it's not a driving factor. And then he goes on, and he gives a, he gives a third one. He says, not lording it over, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So he says, we are not to be lording it over, but we are to be a, a tupas, the, the type of uh, the signet ring, the, the, the mark. We're supposed to help make that example, to follow. So we are to be an example to you. Now, I think as in this passage, as Peter is talking it out, and you get the theme of where he's going— I think the example that he's clearly talking about directly in this, it's not the, it's not, there are other passages that talk about we are to be examples and different. He's talking here, not lording it over, but being an example of something. And he's constantly showing this dynamic through the passage, and he's going to end up at the end of verse five, talking about humility. That we are to be an example to you of humble service of humble ministry to each other. Because he's going to call all of us to that in a moment. And so as preachers, as pastors, it's not just to stand up here and say, I am here, I am Lord over everybody. But rather to look and to say, I am to humbly shepherd you. As an example of what humble leadership and service looks like. And so we as, we as pastors are called to, to be doing that. We're not to rule forcefully over those that God has placed in our care. This idea is the idea of this harsh, excessive authoritarian perspective. We should not serve to advance our own interests or our authority. That's, I mean, for, for me as an assistant pastor, that's, that's a very important statement that I have to wrestle with. Because I may think in my mind well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Why did pastor do that and try to advance my own agenda? And I'm like, wait, I can't do that because that is not the responsibility nor the authority that God has granted to me at this moment in my life. And so I have to, I have to be looking at that. We don't get into ministry. We should not get into ministry just to boss people around, just to be telling people how to, what, what they need to do. We, we need to get into ministry and we do. And, I, and I, knowing the heart of the men who serve here, it's to help people, to help you learn Christ, to help you learn his word, to understand what it is that Christ wants you and I to be more like. And so we, we don't go in with this idea of, ha I get to tell everybody what to do. That is a, it's an immature and an unbiblical response and perspective. I just heard of a church this last week that this is how the pastor is acting. It's a 100, church of 150, 170 people split it in half. Because the pastor said, I will tell you what to do. I will tell you how to spend your money. I will tell you what to wear. I will, And it just was this authoritarian top-down. And half the congregation said, this is not biblical. And he's like, well, you can leave. And they left to start a, have to start another church. Because the pastor was acting, lording it over, not as an example of humble service. And so we have, have a responsibility. So Peter is not saying that the pastor should not use authority. We're told to. Take the oversight that in verse two, we're told take, take that responsibility, taking the oversight. But he says, when you take the oversight, you need to make sure that it's in a humble, submissive spirit, the, the right attitude. So we don't delight in using authority. And yet we know that at times we must use the biblical authority that God has granted to the pastor. It's, it's hard at times because you want to correct you want to share. You want to look at someone and say, have you thought about this? This is not good. Hey, you need to change this. And every time that, that potentially happens, we, we understand to the weight, that that potentially could mean that that sheep decides to leave the fold because they don't like what is said. We understand that there could be times that the friendships that we have, if we have to talk or, or point out something with wisdom and say, hey, X, Y, Z, you need to think about this. You need to change this, maybe this. Or have you thought about maybe you should do this? We understand that there's times that the the friendship could be lost. And that's why it it makes it important to us to make sure we are humbly seeking what does God's word say, what is the truth, and understanding that that is what we want to constantly be sharing as a pastor. And what does Peter say? He says, do this. It can be heavy. It can be hard at times. But he says, you do this because there's a reward for you, a special reward for a pastor who is faithful He talks about when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. I love that he designates Jesus here as the chief shepherd. He reminds us that leadership and our leaders here in this church, we are fundamentally servants of Christ, not authoritative dictators. That he is the—we are shepherds, we are to feed the flock— but Christ is the chief shepherd. It reminds us that our positions are temporary. You know, that it's only here for a short time. We, we don't have an eternal job in heaven. It, it, there's going to be no need for us. And so we, we want to minister. We want to help. We want to, to direct. Because those pastors who serve well will be honored with a great re- reward later. A crown that does not perish. That picture of the laurel wreath that would always fade away that it would deteriorate that it would be gone but yet this is the crown that does not fade away a crown that for for us as pastors we strive for we we want not because i want to have more crowns than you that's not that's not why i want to be able to take this crown for faithfully ministering to the flock that god has placed me in to be able to cast it at the feet of my savior to to cast it at the feet of god and to be able to say this was this was for you which puts that that good responsibility upon us to say, when we're sharing, when we're counseling, when we're preaching, making sure that we're trying to do it and doing it faithfully to God's Word, that we're following through on that responsibility. So whether it's here or wherever God may lead you in the future, you need to make sure that the man of God that you are following is living out those things. You learn of them. You hear about it. You watch that. Peter has placed this initial gear, really, in motion. The pastor, pastor, pastors, are to humbly lead and serve the church. That is, that is our responsibility to you, but ultimately to God. That as we give, we direct. That's, what, that's what we're, why we're supposed to be doing what we're doing. And I, I get nervous for me because I know there are times that I fail in some of those areas. And I want to do better for you. I want to be a better pastor for you and ultimately to please and honor God. But Peter doesn't stop there. Oftentimes we stop at verse 4 and say, okay, this is just the the pastors. But he links verse 5 to the previous thoughts concerning the pastor. He says, likewise. So now he's going to look at some other people and he's going to say, likewise, you as a congregation, we as a congregation, are to function harmoniously. There's another gear that needs to be brought in and synced up and making sure that they're working cohesively together and that we need to have a proper attitude toward our pastor or toward our pastors. And so what what does he say? He says, likewise, you younger submit yourself to the elder. Verse 5. So he, he looks and he says, those who are younger. Now, is he referring here to younger people and older people? Is this just a, okay, now we, we totally switch gears. It seems odd to me that Peter would all of the sudden switch the term elder to just go from, I'm talking about the elders, to now let's just talk about those who are older. Although I think there's, there's a little bit of a tip of a hat or an understanding that isn't not true that as we were younger, we had a harder time. We wanted to be more independent. We had issues with authority coming and telling us what to do, how to live, what needs to change. We were less likely to submit to the authority. But I, I think it's fair. I was talking with one of our young adults this week. When we were talking about the fact that it really doesn't matter what age. Do you as an adult still struggle with an authority telling you what to do? Or an authority... In your life, saying you ought to think about this, or you ought to maybe consider changing this. It doesn't matter where the domino, where where in the domino train you are of life. If somebody tips it over, it feels like it's just all going to go. It's all going to fall apart. And so, I think for all of us to look and to say, "Wait, what is Peter driving at?" I think he is talking. He's talking from the pastor to everyone else it's the younger in the faith. Maybe you're not younger than pastor in the faith, but it's the idea of here's our pastor and everyone else in that congregation. We are to submit, it says, to the elder that is there. Peter has just listed a description of how the pastor is to act, what they're supposed to do. And he says, likewise, just like the humble servant leadership that the pastors are to show, we are to humbly be submitting to, to the leader that god has placed in our lives So he says you need to submit that the idea of submission here. It is commanded Peter says with great authority. This is what we are to be doing We are to submit to our pastor. We are to accept our pastor's authority. We are to uh, We are to defer our authority in church to him In those spiritual matters when they when our pastor comes to us or a pastor comes and says hey you need to think about this, or this is a dynamic. We need to be thinking about weight. There is a spiritual weight in their life. They know, according to God and according to the, the responsibilities they have to the Lord, that I need to listen. I need to submit. There's to be a spirit of cooperation as opposed to one of dissatisfaction toward our pastor. I laugh that someone would even think to put a submit sign on an easy button. Because we all know, we've talked about submission. It's a theme through this book. Submission to the authorities. It's not easy. It's hard at times. And I think it's even harder in our American mindset and in our American culture. Think with me for a second on this idea of submitting to our pastor or submitting to our pastors. We look at our culture, our culture has diminished the role of pastors greatly in our life to simply another voice that we're going to go to, to gain insight from a different perspective. Pastors have become in our culture, spiritual advisors. There are spiritual therapists. They're the ones who we'll get we'll get the, the god perspective from them but we're also going to get all these other perspectives and I'm going to and I'm going to couch it under multitude of counselors and I'm going to go get everybody's advice and the pastor's advice sort of just gets lost in everyone else's voice it it, it makes sense when you when you look do do you not cringe i mean some of you're just like oh my goodness you know Tammy Faye still looks like she has 5 pounds of makeup on um those of you who don't know who Tammy Faye, is because you're under thirty. Um, but you look, you look at, look at this. You, we know these individuals, and yet we see, we can easily look and go, oh, they're you know they're false teachers, they, and they are. Get that. But from an American cultural perspective, in our societies, they're they're spiritual pastors. They're they're spiritual leaders. Whether it's a crazy guy like Jim Jones who's going to take people down and, you know, murder everybody. He was a a spiritual leader. You know, you get these guys who are charlatans looking for money, you know, putting $400,000 in their bathroom. You know, you, you just get, you get all of this. And we look from our discerning eyes here sitting at church and we're like, that's not healthy. That's not good spiritual leadership. That's not what a pastor is. We get that. But yet in our culture those individuals have tainted the perspective of what a pastor is. They've used their authority to prey on people for sordid gain. They've used it for their power. And America sees through it, but I believe it has crept into churches in America. The skepticism toward that position. That when a pastor gives direction or advice... Well, that's just theirs. And you know, can we really, can we really wholeheartedly go with that 100%? Because I don't agree with it. And looking and saying, wait, I need to lend some credence and some deference to what pastor is telling me in my life. But Americans tend to lump everybody into that category altogether. I think as Americans, we get this idea of I have freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want. That's true. As an American, we can and yet our mindset leads us to potentially feel at times that we have the right to sabotage pastoral leadership, to speak critically of our pastor, to slander him, to castigate them, to, to do it simply because we don't like their leadership and decisions. And if you don't think you battle with that, let me ask you how you did over the last two years when pastor and the leadership said, wear a mask or don't wear a mask or consider socially distancing? And did you find yourself, Charlie Brown in it, over with somebody else, slandering and castigating because you did not like the leadership position that pastor and the leadership team took? And yet, that's the responsibility that is granted to those individuals. When pastors lead their congregation with response responsible biblical leadership and the members of the flock resist the leadership. Those members are in disobedience to the Lord and are opening the door for Satan. We'll show how that ties in next next time. But David Jeremiah talked about this. and I was really challenged by the fact that no matter where we are at in our lives, as we are following our pastor, we have to Listen and hear and I understand we have congregational rule and I understand we still have votes and we still have that But there is still a dynamic of oversight that has been granted by god to our pastor To our pastors And we have to look and again, please understand my heart is not to stand here today and say you do whatever we say Please that is not at all but to look and to say Am I opening the door because of my bad attitude? Because I don't like the decisions? Because I don't like a direction that is taken? Do I open the door for Satan to attack our church? And Peter's going to walk down. And if you look down toward verse 7, 8, you know that Satan is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he's going to devour. He's going he's to walk us into that. But we need, to, we need to look. I think it's important for us to understand something else in our culture in regard to this. When you join Faith Baptist Church, if you are a member here, we chose to voluntarily place ourselves under the elder of the local church. Notice, and, and you should underline this in your Bible. Notice in, uh, I should have it underlined in this Bible, but I don't. Uh, feed the flock of God which is among you. And he talks about... Wow, I just lost it here. Where does it say, the elder? Um, Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight, not by filthy, neither is Lord's being examples. When the chief shepherd, wow. Is it, oh, there it is, wow. Uh, The, uh, verse five, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who also am an elder. He talks about, I'm sorry, folks, like my mind is just like lost it here. Oh, verse five, there it is. That's why we're in verse five that would help to stay there. Likewise, you younger submit yourselves unto the elder. It's not an elder. He's talking about specifically the elder of the local church, the leader. When we, when we joined this church, we voluntarily placed ourselves under the elder of our church. And what happens here in America, we've got this new wonderful facet called live stream. And I'm thankful for live stream, and I'm thankful for archived messages, and I'm thankful that I can go listen to other preachers as well and glean from them as I'm studying a passage. But they are not your pastor. They are another spiritual voice you can hear. You might like a church halfway across the nation, but they are not your pastor. Your pastor is here. We are to submit ourselves to the elder of our local church, not another ministry that we might like or think does things better. When you and I chose to join this church, that is a perspective, that is something that we took upon ourselves to submit ourselves to that. So he gives these gears that are put together. We must remember that God has not given us the responsibility. The members of this flock, we do not have the responsibility to be the leader of this church. That way falls upon Pastor Burgraff. And then it is shared with some of the other pastors. We We are not the ones to make the final calls. We are called by Peter here to submit to the elder. Under solid leadership, we should be inclined to follow and submit to our leaders, and I thank the Lord, that we are in a church where we can do that. That we can follow a man who shows that. And so we are inclined to say, let's submit. Let's do what we are. We are commanded to submit to our pastors, but he also then says, submit to each other. Look look how he goes on in the passage. Verse 5. You also be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. In the church, the pastor is the gear that sets the vision, sets the lead, sets the church in motion. I am called to get in gear with that. I'm called to sync up in direction with our pastor and our pastors. But I am also told to make sure that I am in sync with other believers. It's like that little kid's toy where they put all the gears on, it, and when everything's touching correctly and you turn it, all the gears turn together. We are to be humbly submitting and in subjection to one another. We are called to consider each other and willingly place ourselves under each other. To prefer each other better than ourselves. This is not, and church should not be a place about who gets the most glory. It should be about who can I edify? Who can I build up? Who can I help? Who can I help make them a better person? And I think Peter does the same thing. He goes back to John 13. Because he talks about clothing yourself. And do you remember the last time, John 13? It's where Jesus is going to clothe himself, take a robe, put it around, and then wash the disciples' feet. It's the same night that Peter is going to deny Christ. And yet Christ humbly submits himself and washes the—he takes that lowliest of positions— to serve his disciples, to teach them that lesson. One of the very last lessons that Christ is going to teach to his disciples is humility, to serve each other. The word here suggests the idea that we clothe ourselves with humility toward each other, that we we put each other first. Now, the idea of humility, it's the oil really that allows all the gears in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. We need to be humbly thinking about each other. God is serious about the attitude of humility in our church and to the church. That we are to seek to be humble individuals. Why? Look what he says. Here's the foundation. Why do we submit to one another? Why do we submit to the elder? Why do we humbly serve as pastors to you? Why Why do we do that? Because God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. He uses this verse to tell us, to give us the reason for submission to our pastoral leadership and to each other. The verse actually appears three different times in scripture. James chapter four, verse six, Proverbs chapter three, verse 34. It's it's an important verse. It's an important concept. And if you do not want to be in the opposite side of God, if you want to be there, be proud. Because it says, God resists the proud. The idea is God sets his face against those who are proud. But he's going to lavish grace. He's going to grant grace upon those who demonstrate humility. We often throw these terms around, humility and pride, and I have it on the, the sheet there if you, you want it. But proud people, they tend to trust only themselves. They see only their strengths. They don't admit or see their weaknesses. They, uh, they look at their ideas and their ways as the standard for everyone else to follow. You need to come in line with me. I know what's best. They they have that idea where they display an attitude of arrogant superiority. They, that that idea of looking down. You can you can picture the people in your head as you as you think about it. They exude this self-centeredness. That it's all about me. It's not about anybody. And if I don't get what I want, I'm gonna you know go pout and I'm gonna be frustrated. They give off this this self sufficient odor. And one of the commentators that was writing, he talked about this idea of a self sufficient odor. I don't need anybody else. I I can do it all on my own. I don't I don't need anybody's help. I'm very self sufficient. I can I can I've established my job, I'm going to I have my whole life planned out. I don't need God to like interfere. I'm 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 my own man. I can do I I'm good. And they give off this air of self sufficiency. They seek glory and attention for themselves. I liked this phrase. Uh, Thomas Schreiner is one of the commentators. I read. referred to him a couple of times. He said, people who dance with pride trust only in themselves, in their own opinions, and in their own ideas. And they expect everyone else to dance with them. It's just their way or the highway. That ought not to be our leadership position as pastors. That ought not to be your heart attitude toward the church, nor your heart attitude toward each other but to look and to say, how do I humbly help and serve and minister to each other? Humble people, they, they, it does not involve an attitude of self-deprecation. C.S. Lewis said this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's, it's not humility for me to stand up here and say, oh, I'm, I'm not a good preacher. You know, and, and you're looking, well, are you saying you're a good preacher? Isn't that pride? No, it's, it's me looking and saying, okay, God has gifted me with an ability to do that, but God, I need to depend upon you. This is a strength that you have given to me. Help me to depend upon you in my strength and in my weakness. Help to fill the areas where I don't feel. So it's not a self-deprecating because when I do that, then all I'm, all I'm looking for is accolades from you. When I say, you know, oh, I'm not good. Oh, you're great, you're great. And then I feel good. That's, that's not what humility is. It's not self-deprecating. Humility is to make the right estimate of oneself. It's to be aware of your personal strengths and thankful to God for them. But it's also to be aware of our weaknesses and to be dependent upon God to help me improve and help you improve in those areas. Humility is putting others first. It's to think of their desires, to think of their needs, to be thinking of their ideas as more worthy than our own. And when we have those, those ideas with each other, when we exalt each other, when we lift up each other, when we seek each other's needs and desires to build each other up, the Bible says that God lavishes grace upon you. And so as we, as we work through this passage, a passage that I am to humbly lead, that as pastors we are to humbly lead, and we take that seriously, that when we share with you, we, it's not because we want our way or we think we are the smartest. It's because when we look into life and God grants wisdom and direction from the word of God to be able to look at you and say, please consider. We want to see you as sheep following Christ. We want everyone here to be submitting to our, to our leader, to our pastor, but then to exalt one another to lift up each other. We need this heart attitude of humility in our lives so that we can minister to each other. For the church gears to be in sync, we must have humble leadership and submissive followership. And we have that put on display for us in an amazing way tonight. As we start to get ready to transition to communion, isn't it true that as we celebrate Jesus Christ, Did he not display humility on the cross? He humbled himself to become obedient, to be put to death, to the point of death, even on a cross. Humility. We are told to have that mind which was in Christ Jesus in our lives.